Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Let me just take a minute to compose myself over here. I'm not crying, you're crying. Hey, that is just incredible. I think I've seen this like five times now, and every time I see it, um, it just moves me. I think it's such a beautiful depiction what we've been talking about, this idea that they've captured, that God can meet us in our mess, that he can meet us in the ashes of our story, in the chaos that sin has, has begun in our lives and, and made of our stories, that in some way Jesus can reach us in the midst of that. And he can find us at our deepest dysfunction and heal us at the very source of, of, of the problem. This is what we're talking about this week, is this idea of beauty from ashes. This idea that, that, that God is better at saving us than we are at sinning. That, that Jesus is better at redemption and restoration that, than, than we are at messing it up. That yes, the human story is a bit chaotic, that, that sin has fractured our very existence, that we've made a mess of this world, but that there's a God who desires, who longs, who delights, who rejoices in meeting us in the midst of our mess and, and, and bringing us mercy and guiding us into life overflowing and abundant. I told you that we were going to let John be our guide, and, and John's gospel is just a dramatic retelling and he does such a good job of representing the person of Jesus. If Jesus had a best friend, it was probably this guy, John. Uh, in, in John's gospel, he doesn't ever refer to himself by name. This is what he does. He calls himself the one Jesus loved. The one Jesus loved. And when I was kind of starting off reading scripture for the first time, I thought that was a little bit arrogant. I, I kind of thought like, what do you mean? You're like, that was like, you know, he was saying like Jesus, like I'm Jesus's favorite almost, you know, like I'm the one Jesus loved. And then I eventually got to the point where I understood it's not what he's saying. He's not saying that Jesus loves him the best. What he's saying is that he doesn't even want to be known by anything other than the one Jesus loved. What would it be like if you rooted your identity if your self-understanding didn't flow out of your need to impress other people and your performance drivers, if your need uh, if to, to understand who you are and recognize your worth, if, if that was rooted so firmly in the love of Jesus, I'm telling you that so many of the things that, ca that cause disruptions to your story right now, so many of the temptations that derail you in your progress as to where you're trying to drive your life would become powerless because you would understand who you really are. And I think there's a story in, in, in the fourth chapter of John's gospel. And in this story, a woman finally sees herself through the eyes of Jesus. And when you do that, that's when you finally see yourself for the first time. Because there in the eyes of Jesus, what you find is this perfect balance between ownership and grace. See, you can't hide and pretend that you aren't as you are in the eyes of Jesus because he sees you even at your very worst. And at the same time, there's no time for self-loathing or for self-condemnation because though Jesus sees you at your worst, he chooses to recognize your value and love you anyway. 
This is so beautiful and it's so powerful. And I think this woman spent the entirety of her life before this moment chasing after false formulas for significance and trying to find her identity in all these different things that were never going to satisfy her. The prophet Jeremiah described it like this. It says that you, 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 Israel, have made two sins. You've forsaken the spring of living water and you've fashioned for yourself and you've trusted in broken cisterns and they leak. This idea is like all the solutions that you've come up with are inadequate. All these false formulas, they aren't working for you. Let's read this. This is in John chapter 4. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria, and he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. It's like a, you know, first century A.D. Starbucks called Jacob's well. Um, best lattes. You guys, none of my jokes work with you. I just, can we just, can we just, can I just, can I level with you for a second? I'm really insecure and it would help me a lot if you gave me a pity laugh, okay? Let's try this again. Jacob's well was there. It's like a first century Starbucks. Okay, thank you. That's, that's, like, that's a lot better. Thanks. Yeah, it's okay. You guys. Okay. Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, he sat down by the well and it was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus addresses her and he said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, here's what I want you to see about Jesus. We like to keep things up here on the surface. That's never good enough for Jesus. Jesus cares very little about your curated Instagram persona. Jesus cares very little about the layers of impression management that you've put overneath your ego. He cares very little about how, you know, what your League of Legends win rate is. He, he cares very little about what all these things that we do to curate our persona. He wants to get past the surface and get to the deep. He wants to see us as we are, and he wants us to recognize that, 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 that we are as we are. He pushes us past the surface. So this conversation, all about water on the surface level, I want you to hear that Jesus has a subtext underneath this surface conversation, and he doesn't mean anything about water at all. He's talking about something totally deeper than that. And John tells us, the narrator, that his disciples had left to go buy food in town, and so here's Jesus alone with this woman. Which is another thing, can I just tell you? Dangerous thing to leave yourself alone with Jesus. But a powerful thing too. At the close of this service, I'm going to ask you guys to go spend a few time, a few moments of time alone with Jesus. Just a few minutes. And for some of you, that'll be the first time you've ever done that. You're not used to this. What do I do? How do I do that? And I want to tell you, don't fill that time with distraction. Sit with Jesus for a second. Let your heart go there. Let that space become sacred wherever it is that you find yourself and let, let yourself be courageous enough to look intently into his eyes and see your likeness reflected back at yourself. Look at yourself for the first time mirrored back in his perspective. It's powerful. This woman says to Jesus, but wait a minute, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you dare ask me for a drink? 
And John tells us later, because we don't understand the racial tension, for Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And here's Jesus again. He's not staying in his lane. He has very little concern for what's appropriate, for what should be done. Jesus just does what's right. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, and she's almost taunting him here. He's talking about some spiritual reality and what she's essentially saying to him here is like, what are you talking about, dude? She says, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. You're talking about some spiritual power you might have, but I don't think you recognize how big of a mess this is. My dysfunction is deep. How deep is your determination? You have nothing to draw with. Are you even capable of delivering on the promise that you're making here? And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're in a spot where you're hearing me talk about God and Jesus. You're hearing this, you know, the ranch, they're singing these songs about God. And you just sort of wonder, like, is this even legit? Is this even real? I, I, I'm not even sure what to believe. She continues, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? As, as did also his sons and his livestock. And here's Jesus' answer. Everyone who drinks this water, the water, the physical thing we're talking about, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So on the surface level, we're talking about all kinds of stuff. And there's a deeper thing that Jesus is talking about here. He's essentially saying, I am the answer to every longing of the human heart. I'm what you've been looking for. And all of the substitutes that you have put in my place, all of these inadequate solutions, they will fail you over and over and over again. And we know this is true. Because there are so many of us here tonight. And we play the game pretty well. We've put all kinds of things in that space, and yet this nagging sense remains. We've put all kinds of, 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 of inadequate solutions in that deep longing in our hearts, and yet they keep failing us over and over again. And we keep deceiving ourselves into thinking, next time it will be different. And we pursue what we think looks like freedom, and we end up in slavery and bondage again. And the cycle continues. Jesus is saying there is something deeper. There is something deeper, but you need the courage to go there with me. The woman said, sir, okay, fine. And she's being sarcastic. Give me the water then so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And Jesus does the thing that Jesus does the best. What he's going to do here is he's going to let her know I see you. I see you. Not who you pretend to be, not the masks you wear, not the persona you've crafted, not the impression management system you've so carefully constructed around who you are. I see you. And he pushes past the surface into the deep and gets right to the heart of her issue. 
And he does this so well. He says, go call your husband and have him come with you, come back with your husband. Now, to you and I, that sounds innocuous. It's like everyday normal conversation. But to that woman, this is the moment where she's seen at her very worst. This is the moment where all her dysfunction is laid bare. This is the moment where she finally has to wrestle with the reality of her decisions and where her life is gone. And we learn that this woman, like every single person in this room, has a story. And that story has ups and downs, it has twists and turns, it has disappointments, it has failures, it has dreams for the future, it has potential and it has problems. And he's just hit a nerve on the source of her problems. I don't know if she feels ashamed. I don't know if she feels exposed. I don't know if she struggles against this, but... In authenticity, I think she does something courageous here. She says, you're right, I have no husband. And then Jesus pushes it further. Oh, don't pretend. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five. And the man you have now, he's not your husband. What you've said is quite true. I just need you to understand me. Jesus doesn't do shame. It's not his thing. Shame is a trick of your enemy. Shame is one of the things he does to keep you in your place. When Jesus exposes something, it's always, always, always to heal it. If he's going to shine light on an area of darkness in your heart and life, it's so he can invite you near him to have that thing resolved. Jesus isn't about exposing or embarrassing people for the fun of it. He, he doesn't do shame. Shame is not what he does. He is the source, the author of grace. What he's doing here is pushing her deep into her heart so she can recognize what's going on. He's not shaming her. And, and this is crazy because no little girl has ever grown up with this dream. I did youth ministry for like 12 years. I'm a pastor now. I'm a church planter. I've yet to meet anybody who says, yeah, my dream is to grow up and be passed around by like five or six different guys. To be used up and, and powerless, to be objectified time and time again, to be turned into someone else's object for their pleasure, and then discarded when they were done playing with it like a toy. It's just sad to me. It's tragic. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. And, and she starts here down this road of like, let's talk about theology and ideas about God because maybe that'll distract you from the real issue and Jesus brings her right back. I see that you're a prophet. Is it, is it this way or is it that way? Is this understanding about God the right way or is that understanding about God the right way? And sometimes our questions, when we, when we kind of pose these the theoretical questions, sometimes that's our way of distracting from the real issue. The real issue is there's an invitation in front of you from Jesus himself to find healing for the brokenness inside of you in his grace. To allow what's wrong to be set right, to allow 
what is ash to become something beautiful, to allow what's broken to be repaired in the light of his reclaiming beautiful mercy. He doesn't take the bait. Jesus steers her and he says that, that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth to be authentic. She discovers something here in, in her conversation with Jesus and I think, it's, I think it's remarkable. She discovers that what it is that she's been searching for, what it is that she's been looking for is, is him. We just saw such a beautiful depiction, such a beautiful illustration of how determined God is, how, how persistent grace is, how much he seeks you, how, what, the lengths to which he will go to reclaim you, to, to, to claim the joy and the life that he gave you and to give them back to you. We've been talking about how God's heart towards you is delight, not disappointment. How, how God's heart towards you is about hope and not anger. That there's an artistry in what he wants to work first in you and then through you. That he wants to invite you into a story of overflowing grace. And that's what happens to this woman here in John 4. She sees herself authentically in the eyes of Jesus, and she makes this courageous choice to trust him. And she goes from empty to overflowing. She instantly runs out, and she goes back to the village where she's known by the stigma of shame because of her story. And she says, I just met a man who saw me at my very worst and chose to love me anyway. And in that love, she's transformed into this incredible preacher. And many people in her town come to faith in Christ because of her story, because she had the courage to stand, not in her shame, but in something new, this emerging story of grace that's flowing out of her. Jesus said that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but that I have come that you may have life. And there's this word he uses, Parisos, life overflowing, life abundant, life uncontainable. This idea, what he said here is like, this will become a well inside of you that will spring up with living water. It will start in you and flow through you into this world that God has a plan to address the brokenness in this world, and that plan is you. But first you have to come alive. First, you have to let him break those chains. First, you have to let him reclaim your heart. I saw an amazing video. We're going to close with this, and then I'll send you guys out for a few minutes here of, 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 of time alone with God, just, just a few minutes. But I saw this amazing video recently of um, this diver, and this diver on one breath did something really remarkable and um, I, I just am watching this on YouTube because it's all I do now as a parent is watch YouTube. Can I get an amen? Thank you. And um, so this diver, though, he did something so, it was such a cool moment. And I watch him dive down on, on this one breath. And then he gets down to the bottom and then he goes back up. And I remembered a poem by C.S. Lewis about a diver diving deep to reclaim his prize. And so I made this video kind of mash up for you. Just watch this. This is another one of these illustrations I want you to see. Who held their breath that whole video? 
You didn't know you were supposed to do that? Anyway, I didn't try. No, but listen, here, this is such a beautiful story from John's gospel, so dramatically depicted for you in so many ways tonight. This is it. You have a dysfunction that is beyond your ability to repair. Something's broken inside of all of us. But to sit authentically in front of Jesus, to own that, to say, I can't do this on my own. I need help. That's the essence of faith. That's what it comes down to at the end is just simple trust and love. This gift is yours. You just got to take a minute to receive it. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but I want to encourage you tonight respect this time with just a few minutes here. They'll ring a bell and bring you back in and we'll do all kinds of crazy stuff for the rest of the night, I'm sure. But for this moment right now, this isn't a time for you to be distracting each other. Don't go play gaga. Just take a few minutes. You can sit right here if you need to sit right here. You can scatter somewhere out of this room. Go outside. Take a minute or two to carve out some space to sit alone with Jesus. Just, just a few minutes and please listen, if this isn't your thing, if this is like, oh, I just can't do this, at least have enough respect for the other guy next to you because it might be his time. This might be a critically important moment for him. So respect the moment. If it's not going to be your moment, respect the other person's moment. Sit with Jesus and let him whisper into your heart the answer to the longings of your heart. You're his. He sees you, but he loves you anyway. He sees you as you are, dysfunction and all. And he sees not who you have been, not who you are today, but who you could be with his help and in his grace. He sees the ashes, but he also knows, he knows so well what he's capable of in terms of redemption, what he's purchased for you by virtue of his death and resurrection on your behalf. Let's pray, and then I'll dismiss you guys just for a few minutes of time alone with God. Master, we love you. Thank you for being an artist at work. Thank you for being this incredible artist that can see in us potential unspeakable worth unimaginable, who can see inside of us, even in our broken state, something worth redeeming. That at the perfect time, when we didn't deserve it, when we were enemies of God in our own hearts and minds, you died for us to purchase our freedom, to set us free, to unleash us into a life of overflowing grace, love, and mercy. God, I pray for those feeling empty. I pray for those who feel like their lives have become a big pile of ash. That you would shine your light into their story, that you would draw them close to yourself, that they could taste and see the peace, Lord Jesus, that you purchased for us. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.